Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Thanks for tuning in to episode number eight. Today's show is all about the over-reliance on automation and technology in the cockpit. Autopilot babies, aviation insurance for owners, non-owners, renters, and flight instructors. Flight training for your spouse, boyfriend, or girlfriend in the event of an in-flight emergency. Our picks of the week and more coming up next on the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast episode number eight. With your co-host, I'm Len Costa, and uh, joining me are Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Victoria Newville. How's everybody this evening? Great. Good. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get started into the topics tonight, it was a reminder that I missed on the last episode, um, but I wanted to let everybody know that we've had some feedback from listeners uh, looking for a dedicated MP3 feed in order to listen to the show directly, some folks having some technical issues with the enhanced feed working. So we do provide now a second feed for the Stuck Mike Avcast. It is available through iTunes. If you search in the iTunes store for Stuck Mike Avcast and the word MP3, you'll see the feed. Um, there is a, so to clarify, we have an enhanced feed which uh, it has images and websites built into it, so it's interactive. And we have a second feed now with an MP3 only for folks with other players or who are looking for that feed directly. So now you can go and subscribe to it directly through iTunes. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback if that's, if that's working out better for you, if you have any other recommendations. So, um, I think I tweeted a minute ago that, it, that the MP3 was the classic Yes, version. that's right. I saw that. Classic. Yes. <laughs> now entering cruise flight. Well, it's been... Uh, it's been good settling. Everybody's been settled in after a few of us visiting Oshkosh. And um, Rick wanted to, uh, or actually Carl wanted to share some some information on, uh, we do a lot of flying at work with automation, autopilots, FMS, which is a flight management system, and all kinds of different things that, you know, higher level automation in the airline world. And Carl wanted to share a little bit about what it's like, uh, you know, not, trying not to rely or become dependent on that kind of technology. Well, yeah, thanks, Lindy. Uh, a lot of our listeners these days are actually flying newer airplanes, and we have aircraft that are more technically advanced, and they don't actually get to see the classic uh, type of instruments or the old-school type instruments, the round dials. And what's happened is that with these technically advanced aircraft, now we start using the autopilot more. Well, that ties over to the airlines also. With the airlines, they want you to use the automation. And what happens there is that we we get used to using it too much. And 
by relying on it too much, we forget some of our, or lose some of our skills of actually sticking rudder and flying the aircraft and our scan. And I just put a blog post out talking about, you know, what, it, what automation has done for our skills and uh, how it, it's actually made our, our skill level go down slightly. But the good news is that we can prevent that. And, and how do we do that? We do that by practice. And, and with, at, at the airlines, of course, it's not a flying club. We want people to be out there uh, and be comfortable because if you're constantly making corrections, the uh, passengers aren't going to be that comfortable. I, and, you know, we hate to admit it, but the autopilot does do a better job of flying than we do. It can't think in advance, though. And that's what we need the pilots for. We need them to think ahead of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. All, all it's doing is taking your inputs and turning the aircraft where, you know, in the right direction or the wrong direction even, based on what the pilot put in. But when things break, and, and this is where my recent blog post is about, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about, what do you do? Can you rely on those instruments that you have for backup? And also, if, say, that autopilot fails can you actually fly the airplane and i tell you it's it's uh it's been shocking to me to see how many people really rely on that as a crutch instead of a tool there's a big difference and uh that that's kind of scary but that's what and one of the things i want to hear from i'd like to know from victoria and from rick because you've been through the recent process of training and all is is the have you been flying more classic aircraft or more technically advanced aircraft? And were your instructors pushing more of the automation or were they telling you, hey, fly this airplane by hand and we'll use the automation later? That's what I'd like to hear from you folks there. But uh, cool. uh, Rick, what, what, yeah. uh, what was your experience again? Well, my, you know, my training was in mostly two different planes. Most of my hours are in two different planes with uh, glass, with all glass um, cockpits. And, and so I guess the that part of it is high tech, but but I will say to their credit that the training was was great. It was very much eyes outside the plane and all the basics of uh, stick and rudder and and pilotage and dead reckoning. And I don't recall when I first even knew how to operate the um, autopilot or any of that. Um, and so I guess there were I, I would say it was high tech, but there were fundamentals. And um, you know, and even now I remember there was a period where I was trying to alternate if I had to go cross countries in my first sort of solo flights once I got my license, um, you know, I, I would, every other one I would, I would, you know, hand fly and, and anymore, if I don't fly very far, it's not even worth bothering with the auto, you know, automated stuff because, um, you might as well just take it yourself. Uh, it's, it's more trouble sometimes than it's worth. So that's my story about, about my training. I don't know about Victoria. Um, in my training, I mostly had steam gauges, say, um, my instrument training, which I did partially in the glass, um, just to get to know it and stuff. And actually, I, my company plane has a G, uh, an autopilot in it, and I always forget that there is one because I'm just so used to hand flying anyway. Um, I kind of prefer it, I think, because then what's the point of flying if you're just going to sit there and babysit the instruments? Um but, yeah, uh, the glass was always a bit distracting to me, too, I remember. I'm sure it just takes a while to get used to it. And um, luckily in my training, we were um, encouraged not to use the autopilot. And they just kind of told me how to use it. And I used it once or twice to make sure I could disengage it and set it upright. But other than that, I've maybe used it half a dozen times. Well, that's good. I was going to ask Rick, um, You in a previous episode, you talked that you did a lot of almost even – majority of your flying, I think, in a G-1000. Have you flown any or many steam gauge aircraft? Not really. I've flown, I've, I've had a couple lessons in a Citavria, 
and um, and I flew just to try it out because some Piper, uh, like, what is the basic one, Warrior? Uh, yes. Came on the line at, at the place where I rent, and uh, there I had time, and the plane had time, and the CFI I liked it, you know, was working with at the time, at time, so I said, hey, let's go up in one, and so I did that. And I will say that that flight was the one where I was really looking at my at my scan, just watching myself to see how easy it was to pick mm-hmm. up. And um, and that that was that part was fine. I, you know, I, I really was very quickly able to track where I needed to track to do some maneuvers and things. Um, so. So, yeah, but no, very little. Um, I need to do more of that. Yeah, because that's an interesting question. I was I mean, I don't know if you feel do you feel like you wish you had done a little bit more? Because, uh, yeah. I, it's just like same. It's sort of like tailwheel. I think I wish I like we were talking offline a, a bit about you know going low and slow, and and I think that I wish I, I had done more basic stuff. And mm-hmm. and the way I look at tailwheel is it's kind of the, it's for me it's like drive, like driving a stick with a car. It's sort of the basic. If you can do that, you can do the other thing. You know. So I wish I'd done that too. You still have time. Don't say you wish. Go do it. Oh no! Well, yes. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, no, it's a good point, I, and I will. And uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't think I miss it so far. But I'd like to. I think I'd be a better pilot if I did it. Well, I'm glad Carl actually asked you guys the question because there's a. I guess there's a trend, you know, with more of these technologically advanced aircraft out there at flight schools, and more and more students seem to be doing primary training in a glass cockpit. And personally, I, myself as an instructor, I feel that. You know, you you may be losing a little bit of the benefit of learning an instrument scan, maybe not so much in private, but, you know, I think instrument, if you're getting your instrument certificate, that it's important to get a very good foundation in a, in a round gauge aircraft. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering at some point, you may not see them anymore, but there's still plenty of flight schools out there that have, you know, the older style aircraft. So I think it's important that folks are comfortable in both kinds in case, you know, for instance, Rick, you've learned in a G1000, if you if you were to move or go to a different flight school somewhere, you may not find that same equipment and, you know, be, it could be a big learning curve. Yeah, I think um, it w- I expect it probably would be. So it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting question. There's also a couple things just to say that, that I do know that I rely on. There's just so much more data flowing to you. I think there is anyway. So, for instance, there are some planes, obviously, where you don't know what the winds are, mm-hmm. how the winds are hitting your plane. But with those glass, I've come to rely on looking down and checking, you know, the, the wind, the, right. the current wind that's affecting me. And, and that, and that's sort of not a crutch, but I really, I'd know to look for that because it matters a lot. And, and so, so I'm probably not as good looking out the window and gauging how it's affecting the plane against the ground. I mm-hmm. mean, I, 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 I work on that as well, but mm-hmm. it's almost like that could get in the way of things like that. So I understand. Yeah. And I think you're right. If I went to another place, I would have to expect multiple flights for them to feel comfortable and for me to feel comfortable. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, you know, my observation from an instructor standpoint, something that I may be a little critical on with newer, newer aircraft and flight schools, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, there's still good equipment. Carl, do you, have you flown or do you find that a lot of the folks you're flying with at work in the jet, I'll use the term autopilot babies, you know, you get to a few hundred to a few thousand feet and all of a sudden they've got the autopilot on and they don't really, you know, manipulate the aircraft hands on. You know, and that that's it's true. Yes, there's a lot of folks that, or some folks out there that will do that. I think normally what happens is when you're new to an airplane, and especially a plane that's going that fast, that they want or they rely on the autopilot more mm-hmm. than most other folks. But but I would say 98 percent of the time. 
there people will actually, you know, where I work, hand fly it up to about 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And we do have some folks that don't, you know, hand fly it much higher than that. We're, where I see more people not turning the autopilot off is actually during approaches and landings. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you, you'll, I actually, you know, I am one that will turn everything off. And I'll turn the flight director and everything and just, you know, do a, you know, needle ball airspeed type of thing and just and just land, even in instrument conditions. It's, uh, of course, I'm not going to do that in really, really low conditions, uh, obviously because of our operations. But uh, I, I find that there, most people will fly to Taking off, climbing, not a big deal, but when you're coming in to land, mm-hmm. folks have forgotten that if you're looking at the runway, you should be able to land the airplane, mm-hmm. and even if you're 25, 30 miles away. And uh, that's something that we all should work on, you know. And, and, uh, and one thing, too, I, I think we're giving the impression to maybe some of our listeners that it might be bad that they're training in these technologically advanced aircraft and all and with these all this automation but no i think it's great especially right. if you're going to move up to other airplanes mm-hmm. but but the real point is do a lot of work on flying the plane when the thing breaks you know in in some type of failure mode indicated airspeed or whatever your power any of those things, and also fly the plane without the autopilot. Make a conscious effort to turn that off. And and you know the auto quote unquote autopilot babies. I don't think they're they're. I hate to use that term because you know I I do it if I'm like really tired and I will turn that thing on as quick as I can. Because uh, and again, you know I think it's a great tool uh, to to use the autopilot, but uh, I don't see it as much. How about you, Len? I mean, have well, you? Well, I mean, the auto, I use the auto the, the term autopilot baby, not in the sense that you don't use it when you need to. And for instance, like you said, you know, sometimes we have very very long days. You may be getting a little bit tired, and it's just safer to let the autopilot even maybe fly the full instrument approach. Uh, especially if it's low minimums, it's nighttime, you know, it's winter or something. There's there are certain circumstances where it's appropriate. When I say autopilot baby, I have seen because Carl Carl's a captain, so he flies with a lot of uh, first officers and sometimes even brand new pilots. I'm a first officer and I fly with captains, so most of them have at least been at my company flying that airplane for six years or greater. And I've, I wouldn't, I don't know that I could put a percentage to it, but there's a fair amount of folks that will, t- you know, they'll use the controls to take off and then they'll put the autopilot on almost instantly mm-hmm. and they'll let it fly all the way to the runway. And it's not like, you know, it's because it's late at night or they're a little bit tired or there's other circumstances going on. It's, it's just, I don't want to say it's because they're lazy, but they're just <laughs> cutting into this routine that they don't really fly anymore. Right. And it's funny because when it comes time that, like Carl has said, when something doesn't work, it's funny to watch these pilots not really know how, I mean, I, I shouldn't say not know, but not really manipulate the airplane in a smooth manner. Um, it's it's kind of like they're a little bit rusty on just flying in general. And, you know, I don't want to say that airline pilots are unsafe, but it's just hand flying is important. It is, it's important to know what your aircraft feels like because uh, it's always different with weight and different configurations, and you can, if, you, if you're always using the autopilot, I feel that's when you lose like that tactile response. What's actually going on? What's the autopilot masking that I forgot what it feels like in some degree? So that's kind of where I come up with. You know, that's a little bit of my pet peeve with the the term autopilot baby. But um, you know, I, I hand fly a lot, kind of like Carl does, at least up to ten thousand or higher, and usually. 
you know, for the full instrument approach or the full visual. I love visual approaches because I just look outside and check my airspeed every now and then, and it's, uh, it's, it's a fun challenge to be able to, you know, essentially manipulate the airplane and get it to where you want without having to rely on the instrumentation. But, you know, and, and I've flown with you. You're, you're a real good stick-and-rudder pilot, so I think that kind of plays into that, you know, that you're able to go out there and look outside and actually and fly this, this mm-hmm. faster aircraft by looking outside. And that challenge, it, it's interesting. When you said that, I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting here thinking, thinking what? You, you know, a challenge to look outside and do a visual approach. <laughs> and, and I guess what they don't realize is, is the fact that you, you're taking this aircraft from a higher altitude going mm-hmm. 240 knots and, and then slowing it down to 130 and landing on a runway and, and being able to judge from that far away, plus making these turns that, that – uh, that are much wider than right. a, in a slower aircraft, and and that's that's the thing that I think people lose, and that they, they don't realize. Gosh, there's a, there's a lot to it. I mean, most of the po- folks that are new, and even some folks that aren't, like you said, with the autopilot babies that you're talking about, is that they won't uh, they won't do that. You know, they'll they'll say, uh, uh-uh, the autopilot's on. Mm-hmm. But I, I like I like I like that. that. That was interesting. You know, it's funny. Have you ever heard the the saying, uh, "Okay, I don't get paid for this," and they turn the autopilot on? <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't become an airline pilot to actually work. Right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So yeah, that's those are just my views. Uh, you know, I love the technology and it's very helpful. But I like to. I still personally like to remain hands on and just feel comfortable you're flying an airplane in general. Yeah, and it's a lot more fun too. And I, I think that everybody should do that. I think you're going to see some new rules come down the pike about training concerning uh, pilots flying without autopilot and also with uh, certain instrument failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, because kind of like what we touched on now, a lot of people don't and say, you know, the majority you're flying is is having the autopilot on. And you know, I looked at the last ten hours I flew, maybe half of an hour of that, maybe an hour was actually without the autopilot on because mm-hmm. we're in cruise flight most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, good point. But I, th- I think I think we really are going to see, uh, and I suggest people to start doing some training just now, and say to yourself, "Hey, do I really am am I comfortable flying without this instrumentation working and with the autopilot off?" Mm-hmm. And if you aren't, try it out. You know, do it in a, you know do it in a safe environment. Obviously, do right. it with an instructor, doing it at, at, at a high altitude, not close to the ground. And if you find you have a deficiency, you know, just go to somebody, somebody you trust, and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, listen, I really I want some more training." Mm-hmm. That's as simple as that. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Rock on. Oh, great. So, uh, Victoria, last uh, I think it was the last episode you had mentioned you were at Oshkosh working for the um, working on behalf of your aviation insurance employer. And I know that you wanted to mention just a little bit basics about owners and non-owners insurance for uh, for our listeners. Yeah, get your pillows out. We're talking about insurance. No. <laughs> it's actually not too bad. Um, I'm new to the aviation insurance world. I did a bit of homeowner's insurance in the past, but um, it's completely different, and I'm learning a lot. So I thought I'd share some of like the common stuff um, that right. I come across uh, at work. Um, first of all, it's one of the important things is to go to an aviation insurance specialist. This means they specialize in aviation only. Um, there's a lot of pilots out there that sell insurance and they might dabble in um, aircraft insurance, but their specialty might be homeowners or something. Um, For example, at my company, all we do is aviation and we know those markets through and through. And um, 
we, you know, shop the basic underwriters that would be most competitive for the type of flying you do and the coverages you require. So um, it can be pretty tricky because aviation insurance isn't standardized like homeowners or car insurance policies. They're quite different. Um, there's two types that I'll cover today. Um, first of all is non-owner insurance, uh, aka renter's insurance, which until I kind of delved into what you could be responsible for if you actually did damage a rented aircraft, it kind of freaked me out that I was flying without it for all these years. Um, the most question, um, common question we get is how much coverage to carry. And pretty much the simple answer is as much as you can afford, um, pretty much better safe than sorry. Um, it's important to know your exposures. Um, there's about four basic things that you want to make sure you're covered with. First of all, uh, the FBO may require you to pay your deductible, pay their deductible, sorry. Um, in the case of a loss, uh, you'll be liable for bodily injury or property damage, aircraft damage. And then um, it's more rare, but subrogation from insurance companies. And that's pretty much when an insurance company um, pays out a loss they might go at back after you to get that money back. So if they pay $5,000 in damage, they're going to go after you to get that $5,000 back. Mm. So, um, yeah, it kind of freaked me out when I was yeah. like, wow, you know, they have insurance. They told me they had insurance on their aircraft. I thought it was covered. Well, not so much. It's kind of a gray area. So it's mm -hmm. pretty much best to discuss this with your insurance agent as well as your school or FBO to see what kind of coverages are perfect for you and what you're actually covered for under their insurance and your um, non-owner insurance. Mm -hmm. um, in regards to owned aircraft, um, you actually have three options to manage your costs. Many people don't realize it is possible to carry liability only. Um, a lot of banks, if you do owe money on the aircraft, you'll have to get full coverage, but liability only if you have um, an aircraft that's paid off, isn't worth too much, or even if it is, um, you know, you can carry that, which is uh, a lot cheaper. Um, you can do ground only haul coverage, and then there is uh, full coverage, which includes the liability and haul. So those are three ways that you can kind of play around with your costs there. Um, and then second... Um, most common question I get for owned aircraft is uh, what kind of haul value to put on it. Uh, the first thing is don't over-insure because you don't need to pay more, um, pay for more insurance than you actually need. It's just kind of a waste. Um, but don't under-insure either because in the case of uh, an expensive loss and the aircraft is underinsured, it'll be quicker that it's totaled. And once the aircraft's totaled, it belongs to the insurance company. So you want to make sure not to underinsure your aircraft. It's pretty much best to insure it for its market value and what you could um, best buy or sell it for. So those are the kind of uh, the most common things that people approach me with when talking about insurance. Um, you know, I could, I could go on forever about things, but you guys would uh, be sleeping and snoring. So um, that's kind of oh, what you no, want to I... consider when you uh, give us a call and uh, want to know what's best for you. And Victoria, you know, there, you, I have like a million questions for you, and I know that <laughs> I, we could sit here for hours and talk about insurance. Obviously, since I'm an owner in an aircraft, but that yeah. there, there's a lot just from what you said. I'm starting to get concerns, you know, about do I have enough coverage, et cetera. So I'm, 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 I'm like Give looking through call. my coverage. I was like, oh no. But the, uh, do you find most people are underinsured when they come in to consult with you? 
No, not after we talk to them. A lot of people want to put less on their aircraft, and we're pretty good with consulting them about, you know, how that's not a good idea. Everyone's looking to cut costs right now. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times we will suggest the ground-only hull coverage, but if you have a problem, you know, in the air, if it's in motion when there was something happened to the aircraft, you wouldn't be really necessarily covered. So, so the... Uh the other thing, you mentioned non-owners insurance, and I think you alluded to renters. How about those those people that just say, here, here are the keys to my plane, have fun for a week? You'd you know? want non-owners coverage, most likely. Uh-huh. Or um, same with you being an instructor. Mm-hmm. We uh, offer insurance through uh, SAFE for right. the uh, instructors. Uh, I can't remember the what it stands for right now, but... Um, yeah, we offer insurance for you know safe members as well as uh, CFIs who aren't safe members. Yeah, that, and just to make sure you're covered. That 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 sounds good. so. If you're an instructor instructing in someone's airplane, yep. you really need to have insurance. Mm-hmm. Why? Why well, do I some, need to have insurance if I'm teaching somebody sitting next to me? You can never protect it, your butt too much. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, it's yeah. just more rhetorical, but yeah, that's. Yeah, that, you that, can fly o- under an open pilot warranty. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they'll say you have to be a private pilot with at least 300 hours to be covered under this aircraft. But, um, you know, other there's always a way that they can get you. I know the way Americans make money is by suing other people. Yes. So, um, you know, when I read, you know, read up on all this, I realized how important it is to actually have coverage just in case, even if you got like a tiny little policy, if it can help cover a deductible. Wow. So you write insurance through SAFE then, or for SAFE? We do. Yeah, we yeah. do for through SAFE and um, Chartis for okay. non-owners, and then we shop about. I think there's like 13 other markets for um, owned aircraft. And, and for those that don't know, the SAFE is the Society of Aviation and Flight Educators. It's a <laughs> there it is. You got it. Wonderful organization. I couldn't remember it. Um, but and they, they have some really great coverages. For yeah. Them. Yeah. Well, that's. That's interesting because I'm just finding out about that. I need to redo my whole insurance, so I'm definitely going to be talking to you offline about this. And and uh, I think the insurance is one of those parts that we really don't understand when we come, when it comes to airplanes. For instance, say uh, another example is I have an airplane and I want a friend of mine to use it on a consistent basis. You know, my insurance might change because that's an unnamed person on the insurance. Mm-hmm. But it's a named, uh, and Victoria helped me out with this. It's you're not an owner, but you're a, a part-time user or something. I can't remember the yeah, term. Yeah, if you if you use the aircraft, you can qualify under the open pilot warranty mm-hmm. if you meet their standards. But then you can also get named onto the policy to get that protection as well. That can affect your premium if you were to add lend to your aircraft. Right, because but it depends it, on its hours and stuff. So. Doesn't and if I understand correctly. One of the maybe downsides to that is depending on the experience, because generally the aviation policy is written based on the lowest experience pilot. So uh, is that correct, first of all? Yeah, isn't that? I think it is, yeah. It's the lowest insurance. So, yeah, because I had heard. Uh oh. (laughs) Have we lost Victoria? We may have. But, you know, there she is. Something I've been going through with our policy now is what we have somebody uh, that has has really low experience, and they have to be definitely named on the on the policy. Yeah, because I've heard a few different things about that. Uh, you know, um, specifically depending on who you're operating with. You know, sometimes it's based on the the lowest um, 
rated or lowest timed pilot. Um, and uh, another question for you, Victoria, the CFI insurance, doesn't does that also cover you just on basic negligences as an instructor that, you know, if you perhaps missed uh, an item or something or somebody's trying to sue you because you didn't teach them properly? That would be covered under liability, I believe. Don't okay. quote me on that. Um, give us a call. <laughs> As I said, I am learning, but um, I, that sounds like something that would be under yeah, I liability. Think, I think there were some options yeah. there as well that, that protected you as an instructor and not just as, uh, you know, as a pilot as well. So a lot yep. of good information. Interesting. Yeah, boy, we could have a whole episode just on this, hours of it. So, oh, wow, I'm surprised. I hope you come Yay. back. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, really. I, I hopefully when we come back for some other episodes, we could maybe do a little segment on some other types of insurance and, and follow up with some of these questions because we could spend hours on this, yeah, I think. Yeah, just let me know. I'll go back and hit the books and come back to you. As I said, I'm learning, but I'm really enjoying it there. So it's a great little cool. world we got going on in aviation insurance. Yeah, neat stuff. Very cool. Well, I was going to... Uh ask you guys your opinion on something. I read a, recently read an article. Uh, actually, this happened back in May. Um, a wife, uh, there was actually two, two folks were in a Cirrus, and uh, it was a wife, husband and wife. They were in a Cirrus uh, SR-22. And um, what had happened was basically the article says that the husband, who was the actual the, the rated certificated pilot, uh, became disoriented and unresponsive to what they alluded to was due to hypoxia, and that the wife got on the radio and said, hello, somebody help me, my husband's unresponsive. And the airline pilot on the frequency with serious experience was able to talk this woman into flying the airplane, and she was able to um, to descend the aircraft low enough where there was where there was oxygen for the husband to wake up and then come back to, uh, you know, come back to, to consciousness to be able to take the airplane and then land it. So I was curious uh, for the listeners out there and for you guys as well, uh, my co-hosts, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, Rick, your wife has some experience flying. I know Victoria's boyfriend is a pilot, but Carl, your girlfriend, uh, you know, she's probably gone with you a few times. How does everybody feel aside from Victoria? Cause her boyfriend is a pilot, but you know, with uh, everyone else out there, what do you think about getting your spouse or girlfriend or whoever flies with you a few, tr- you know, a few hours of flight training that they're comfortable enough to maybe even land an airplane? Well, I, I'll just chime in quickly. Cause I bet these guys have, have more experience. I would say that, you know, if we start to fly together more, you know, minimally the pinch hitter course, those kind of things, which give you some basic understanding of what's supposed to happen, as well as some probably pretty detailed radio work in that plane that we're talking about. That's probably, you know, I would, I would say that's great and crucial. And, you know, because minimally connecting to somebody in that dynamic, it's the perfect example of how just talking got them to a place where they could get down. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, yeah, that's a bare minimum. And sure, if somebody were interested in going, you know, completely through training and learning more or more detailed training and and learning how to land well enough to feel like they, they wouldn't be worried about it, you know, or at least could try it. Uh, that's probably a bonus as well, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it's great. That's a great story. Yeah. It's, it's happened a few times. I mean, it's not the only one, but this one just recently reminded me of it. And, and a gentleman that I used to flight instruct with, uh, we were visiting with them over the weekend 
And they were on the discussion, you know, his wife wants to basically learn the exact same thing, which reminded me to bring up this story again. Uh, she wants to learn how to, now she's gone through a little bit of a few basic flight lessons back in the day and took her private written. So she may, you know, for somebody who's not a pilot and not a student pilot, even have a little bit of past experience, but she wants to go ahead and learn, uh, you know, at least be comfortable handling the aircraft in an instance where her husband becomes incapacitated. So I think, you know, it's got me thinking again about this article, and I thought that it's a really good idea. Again, like you said, Rick, depending on how much you fly with that person, um, you know, there's some cost issues related. If it's if it's all the time, yeah, it's definitely worth it. But if it's once or twice, maybe not. Uh, Carl, what do you think? Well, I think it's it's a great idea. As a matter of fact, uh, for years, and I haven't done this in a while, I do what's called a non-flyer's guide to the cockpit. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, I do like a weekend course where the uh, significant others of people that fly can come out to a ground school. And without their significant other there, their spouse, friend, girlfriend, et cetera, boyfriend, they can, they can learn about the basics of flying and, and the radios, like you said, and also uh, taking off and landing the airplane. And then we, what I would do is I would invite them back to come fly with me without their, their spouse or friend with them, and we would go up. And, and what it does, it, it gets them in an environment that they, they're able to ask questions that they would feel very reticent to ask in front of their spouse like like rick i i I'm, i would yeah. think that there might be some things your wife might not want to ask you because she might think oh gosh i'm gonna sound silly doing it or maybe she's not maybe she's very comfortable doing that not everybody has that relationship i, I don't know about your yeah, situation. no we i well no we're pretty it's pretty good that she she doesn't want to get in the way but we talked about stuff you know as needed and and by you know by we just flew but, but on the return trip you know there was for someone who isn't a pilot and who's only been hearing me talk about it but she's flown a bunch with family you know she we were doing a lot of plane spotting and i was pointing things out and you know it was it was a bit of a learning experience uh you know very rudimentary stuff when it mattered and when we weren't, you know, in the pattern and, and I was concentrating on that. So, yeah, there's a lot of room there for, you're right, basic just let me walk you through what I'm doing here, you know. And, right. and gee, could you switch the radios for me? Let me show you how to do that. <laughs> no, really, because if, right, that's not yeah. that hard. Once you do it a few times and it's not that, you know, it's undoable very quickly. So, you know, there's no real problem with it. And so, that, yeah, it's a, there's lots. I think you could do a lot of that yourself. Oh, yeah. And I think an important point here is that if you remember back, you know, like when I started flying, you would solo in six hours. Mm -hmm. So you can get somebody up to speed as far as the basics of flying within maybe five or ten hours if you want them to be able to actually land the airplane mm -hmm. in that type of a situation. Right. You know, obviously, nowadays they have tests and all, but that, I think that just shows you that, gosh, you know, it doesn't – to physically do that, to, to take off and land, not to take off and land well, but to take off and land, you can, you can show them. And, and I, I'd encourage you, Rick, to have her, you know – yeah. Walk along with you on the controls, you know, just say, hey, listen, if something happens, just let go. You know, <laughs> these yeah. are mine on the landing. But it, yeah, let, yeah, let me show you what I'm doing here, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And don't, but don't say, watch this. No. Or, <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst thing you say in an airplane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, hold on. Right. But yeah. Terrific stuff, though. I, th I think that, that when you can do that, when you can share more with your spouse, uh, then, yes, you it, you would get them interested and hopefully you'll enjoy the flying more. I mean, this is, uh, I got to be careful because she's in the other room. So hopefully, but this is one of the issues that, you know, we, we've had is, uh, 
you know, my girlfriend's deathly afraid of flying, and I fly almost every day. And their friends are like, gosh, you know, he flies a lot. You know, might as well go, go with him. You're probably in good hands. But, but I can understand because she's, she's lost someone close to her in a, in a, in a plane crash. And uh, so we have to kind of get over that. And, we, and, and the way I do it is in small bites. And, uh, you know, and they say, hey, you know, this is what steers the airplane, you know, left and right. You want to see how it works. And she's like, no, 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 no. I said, well, just, just touch it a little bit. I'll show you what I do. And then from there, then, then we'll move on. But there's a... Uh, not everybody is interested in flying, but uh, if someone's going to be in the cockpit with you a lot, it's it's good for them to know more about your airplane, about the radios, et cetera, just in case something happens to you. And in the case of a Cirrus, maybe it would be just teaching them how to, to slow the aircraft and pull the chute. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So... But that, it's it's good stuff though. Neat, yeah, neat no, stuff. it's important. And it's it's important. And I thought that story was interesting. I guess I heard a couple of things about it. And the, you know that one, the reason it happened the way it happened is his his oxygen line got messed up and <clears throat> hers didn't. And so that's why that arrangement, why that happened at altitude. And um, I also th- I think initially I think they managed to get him to a point where he understood he needed to land rather mm-hmm. than go on to his destination. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that happens when you're. You know, there's that bit where I was just listening to it from a pilot's point of view, imagining coming out of that fog, trying to get into my head that something, you know, dangerous was happening and I needed to land, even though I, you know, I'm still on a plane, it's still flying, let me go on to my destination. So, anyway. And, and just a quick plug that AOPA actually has it within their AS, Air Safety Foundation, a ground school, where you can do the pinch hitter course. And I'm pretty sure it's still out there. And uh, just go to, to AOPA Air Safety Foundation. Cool. Great. Um, well, let's, uh, let's see. Yeah, I, there is another instance. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen some other instances, similar things with the hypoxia and people on the aircraft by themselves. Mm. Um, and there being some fatalities. So uh, hypoxia is a whole other issue. In fact, maybe we should talk about that on an upcoming episode yeah, for general aviation pilots. We'll put that on the list um, for another episode, because that is definitely important to uh, for everybody to understand exactly what um, what some of the signs of hypoxia because they are different for everybody. And, and if you get a chance, uh, look up just brief you know a brief segue. Look up online. There are some places where you can do high altitude and hypoxia training and do a ride in a, um, a high altitude chamber. Our picks of the week. Why don't we go ahead and go into our picks of the week? Um, Carl wanted to talk about a, another iPhone application. Yes, iPhone. It, it's actually uh, one that uh, Len had uh, put together a review of on thepilotreport.com. And there's a really good video that, uh, Len, you've gone through and, and explained all the, the technical aspects of, of aero weather. And basically, what this is is a, a way to get uh, weather. Uh, a METARS TAS, and also, if you upgrade to the professional version, which I just did today, you can get radar, and you can also get what's really cool, I think, is uh, webcams. You can actually have, there's webcams of the areas around where you're going. So say you're going to Burlington, Vermont, or you're going to Tampa, Florida, you can actually see webcams of the beach or the ski slopes or, or the downtown area. With, with this uh, aero weather application on iTunes, it, uh, it will give you the weather either in the, the raw format or 
it will give you the data in a translated format, which is actually what I use. This, this is the one app that I use every single day flying because I can put in a list of favorites the airports I'm going to. And when I'm, say, making my announcement before we depart to the passengers, I will look up and I will say, oh, this is what the weather is going to be, and this is the temperature, and, of course, we're going to be on time. And then the, uh, the next thing I'll mention is, oh, and tonight, by the way, the weather is going to be sunny or it's, there's going to be some rain. So that's kind of a great tool to, to be able to speak uh, naturally to, to people using this, tran this English translation that they have on Aero Weather. Wonderful app, it's, uh, but the, the professional version is $3.99. The light version, which is free, has all the information except for the radar and except for the, um, uh, the webcams. But the neat thing is when you look at a specific station, like say you're looking at Tampa, when you click on, on the airport, you can also get all the information by clicking on the airnav.com tab, and it'll take you over to the actual website. What would really be neat for this app, and what I'd love to see, is if you could go from the, the AeroWeather app to the AirNav app on the iPhone. I think that would be awesome. But, yeah, terrific, terrific app. It's really simple. Shows you a little arrow where the direction of the wind's coming from. Uh, oh, and one more thing about the professional version that I like. It lists all the runways, and it calculates for every runway using the current winds what your headwind, tailwind, and your crosswind component is. Nice. So it's really neat stuff. That's so that's cool. uh, Aero, yeah, Aero Weather on iTunes. It's, it's free. Download it. Try it out. And if you're flying a lot, I'd recommend the 399 mm -hmm. uh, Pro version. Yeah, Question. It's a, it's a fun little app. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Am I the only one without an iPad or iPod here? Well, um, possibly. Yes. yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I think they, they have yeah, you, <laughs> it, it, It's I've, important because not everyone in the, in the universe yes. you know, That's has right. them. That's it's, right. It's, so you and represent, the iPod, but not the iPhone or your little iPads. Little which little iPod leaks. do you have? Uh, the older touch? one. Oh, okay. So, you, so, you get, <laughs> so it minimally get a touch for Christmas, and there's a whole lot of stuff you can do with that. Yeah. Yeah, it does all the stuff. I have a droid. How about that? There you go. Okay, that's, that's cool, too. Yeah, yeah, that's real I cool. I just needed to feel special. You, you are. You are. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Victoria. Okay. Uh, Rick, you had uh, you wanted to share, actually, a book. Yeah, this some, uh, I got this as a gift, and it, it's a, a book um, that... It's been, it was out a while, I think, but has been updated in 2010. Um, and I'm going to try carefully to pronounce the, the gentleman's name. It's called Aloft, Thoughts on the Experience of Flight uh, it, by William. Um, and the last name is, uh, I pronounce, you guys may have said this more often than I am, Longavisha. Longavisha. Um, it's it's uh, the same, and I think that's the German pronunciation. He is the, I think, son of Wolfgang, the stick and rudder guy. Okay. Um, the guy, and that's how the last name's pronounced. Anyway, it's spelled L A N G E W I E S C H E. It's a German name. Anyway, it's a very cool book. Essays that I think were published in magazines. Uh, he's a pilot, and um, it, it's just great because it's very inside stuff, but with some interesting angles. One, an early chapter, and one of my favorites so far, is basically called. It's called the turn, and it is how the, you know the, our current. Getting to where we are in flight, what was crucial for humans to master was the turn and what the turn meant um, in terms of um, staying aloft, managing the turn without visual reference, you know, um, what the turn can mean if you don't do it right. And it's a, it's a, 
it's a great, great book, and I'm really enjoying it. So I, I highly recommend that. It's called Aloft Thoughts on the Experience of Flight. And the one, the newest edition was out in 2010. Neat stuff. Yeah. Neat stuff. Hey, I looked up the, the pronunciation, by the way. Longavisha is. Yeah, yeah. William Longavisha. You had know, it correct. It, it, it does not look at all like that, and I had to practice <laughs> no. it all day. I thought, I'm going to talk about this guy, and I've never said Wolfgang's last name. I just go, you know, he's the stick and rudder guy, you know, because everyone sort of read that book. And I, and that, yeah, that's it. There's even, a phonetic, there's even a phonetic uh, thing you can click on online to, to hear him say his name. It's very funny. <laughs> Good book. Oh, cool. Um, well, very neat. And Victoria's got uh, another neat um, pick of the week this week. Go ahead. I like jewelry. I don't believe and, it. Yeah. <laughs> it would be nice to like jewelry with airplanes, though I'm very picky about the airplane jewelry I've seen out there. And I recently came across... Get this website, aviationjewelry.com. Very tricky. Um, but I'm totally in love with it, especially the rings. And right now they have an Etsy website as well, uh, etsy.com slash uh, shop, excuse me, slash aviation jewelry. And it's buy two, get one free. So if uh, any of you guys go buy your girl stuff, get her two, and then send me the free one. <laughs> but, but, uh, but don't tell her <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> we can keep it our little secret oh cool but very good stuff on there all kinds of stuff there's even men's jewelry so you guys can get something for yourself too have you got but, any um, have you bought anything from them no i'm going to though because yeah. it's so far um some of the best prices and the most creative um jewelry that i've seen out there i'm i've been very picky on what i've seen and I like it. I'm impressed. So that's why it's my pick of the week. Well, you'll have to let us know when you do finally get something. Um, that's your guys' job. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's my payment for being on here. This may be, this may be a pick you, oh, someone else will want to do, and I can't remember the name. Maybe um, Victoria can. There's, a, there's a, a woman's aviation watch company that a woman oh. started. Oh, and I can't, I'm going uh, to look up the name, but I think it's cool because – I saw her, she was at, I mean, I saw that she had her company at Oshkosh and may be there a lot. And um, I just think it's cool that she started it, that she's running. It's sort of a young entrepreneur thing. And I will look up the name because yeah, I think I'm it's looking. worth giving them some credit. I know I, who you're talking about. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out here. I, I, I did a, I, I did a, I found their page on Facebook and now I can't find it. So Is it Abby Dung? Yes. Abby, Abby Dung? Abingdon. Yeah, that's Abingdon. That's so I don't know what people might want to check that that out as a as an additional component, because there's a lot of very large sort of, you know, E6B kind of expensive, cool watches, Mm -hmm. often for men, very big. This this, these are made, you know, for women uh, pilots. And I I think it's kind of cool that that even exists. So along the lines of, uh, you know, jewelry and things for aviation, I thought I'd bring them up as well. Cool. These are pretty cute. Looking at them right now. Yeah. That name sounds familiar. I must have seen them recently somewhere else, too. I think they were at Oshkosh. Yeah, yeah. I think she has a picture of her with, uh, with Ariel Tweedo from the Wild Alaska show, so that's, that's that another reason. It. Yeah. <laughs> Neat. Well, my, uh, my pick of the week, I must be late to the party because I, I didn't realize uh, that this aircraft was even at Oshkosh, and if it was, I probably would have gone over and drilled all over it. But my pick of the week is the Icon A5. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a pretty neat um, light sport aircraft that's under uh, development right now. I think that I read earlier in the week that they are taking orders 
for uh, delivery, but it's probably not going to be coming out until about 2015. But it's a very cool light sport airplane that um, it it's uh, two person. It's got a Rotax engine. It's got retractable landing gear, and the uh, the fuselage of the aircraft is amphibious. So it is a water slash land flying toy because it is it's just the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. In fact, I tweeted out earlier in the week that it's probably one of the only airplanes that's really made me excited about flying in quite some time. Um, and it's pretty cool. Like I said, it's an amphibious slash retractable landing gear aircraft. And it's pretty cool. They, um, the design is that the wings actually fold up and it fits on a trailer. So you're not stuck to, you know, with a light sport airplane, if you wanted to go travel around the country, you know, you could, you could spend some time flying from coast to coast, or you could just hook up the trailer behind your RV and pull this, bad boy out to California and fly around the West Coast and land on, you know, Lake Tahoe or something cool like that. So, I mean, this this little airplane is so neat. I uh, If I was to buy something in the near future for the fun of aviation, not necessarily for trying to go places and get, you know, yeah, any sort of mission, but just for, a, you know, a good old all-around flying fun toy, this is what I would look at, the Icon A5. It's pretty cool. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I heard oh, yeah. I heard some mixed reviews about it from my friends at Oshkosh. Um, but I, like I said, I didn't put the connection to the fact that it was actually there. I would have gone and looked at one. They, I, I saw it. There. I was there, and I, I went to the booth in 2010. And it, it's bigger than you think in person, mm-hmm. which is cool. And it's, 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 it's very cool looking. The joke, I think, this year was they actually were offering for sale or that you can buy now an, a remote-controlled model of yes. that. So the, so the joke oh, was sort cool. of, yeah, it's finally available. Now you can f- at least fly the model. Yes. So, but I think inside it looks like a car cockpit. It does. It's very, it yeah. does look exactly like a car, and that's kind of cool. Um, but it's fun. It's, it does about 120 knots. Uh, it's got all kinds of neat little safety features to it. It probably burns a few gallons of gas. It does, it does burn car gas and, uh, av fuel. Um, the price I think right now is around 140,000, but it's, you know, it's just a fun little airplane. Iconaircraft.com is the website. And, uh, someday I hope to at least get a chance to fly one because it just looks so cool. The after landing checklist. I wanted to thank everybody for getting together tonight and recording another, uh, I always say at night because usually when we record these, it's nighttime. So those listening, it's usually because we're recording at night. But thank everybody for, for taking the time this evening to get together. Um, it's been our pleasure recording another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast for you. We really enjoy getting together and sharing our love and passion for aviation with you guys. If there's anything you'd ever like to, you know, any feedback, please Submit any questions through the blog at stuckmikeavcast.com. Again, you can also always reach us on Twitter and at Facebook. Um, for folks looking to get a hold of uh, the co-host directly, Carl, how can uh, po- folks get in touch with you individually? Well, they can find me at my blog, expertaviator.com, or on uh, Twitter, at expertaviator. Great. Carl. Uh, uh, Rick. Carl? I'll give Carl's yeah. information. <laughs> Carl. no, uh, I'm uh, R. Felty on Twitter, um, R.D. Felty. The videos are on uh, YouTube and rickfelty.com. Great. Victoria? I am on Twitter at ToriaFly, and my blog is toriaflies.blogspot.com. Great. And I am available at thepilotreport.com and on Facebook and Twitter as The Pilot Report. So from all of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, you've been listening to episode number eight. We thank you again for tuning in, and uh, we wish you all clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody.
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.